0: Well, some good news to share with regard to what's happening in the pulpit, but maybe not quite the news that you might have expected, and today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Uh, ArizonaChristian.edu is where you'll find this American Worldview Inventory Report. We're going to talk about which pastors hold a biblical worldview, the non-denominational or the denominational. Dr. George Barna, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
1: Roger always good to be with you good to be with you
0: too and since we've been doing these chats now on video so you can see all the video at myhopenow.com if you're listening to our terrestrial radio networks or our podcast as well the best part of this conversation of course the wit humor and depth and insight of dr george barna move on on. (laughs) but the fact but the fact that i get to geek out over george barna's bases in his office now this is the coolest thing ever I, George, I love you as a friend and as a researcher. I think you're fantastic, but I just like our monthly visits with your bases. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie. I, you look at my office where I'm recording. There are no bases. Listen, You got You're, nothing. You got nothing. Nothing, nothing. I have an acoustic guitar that I inherited from one of my daughters in the closet. That's Oi. about it. That's Oi. about it. But that's okay. Uh, like I, I don't said- I do know well, what to get
1: you for Christmas. Well, <laughs> so, <yeah.
0: laughs> that's for uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at least get me a green screen, right? So I could have pictures <laughs> of bases up there. Hey, let's get to this report because I've spent the past half of my life in a denominational church. I grew up going to denominational churches that had, you know, some had a more traditional than- most um, background. But I was very surprised to see your latest report in the American Worldview Inventory 2022 about the fact that not only are non-denominational pastors more likely to hold biblical views than all other denominations pastors, that they are far more likely to do so. Give us the good, bad, and the ugly about this, Dr. George Barnes.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of, of slicing this data. But, you know, one of the ways that I did it was looking at pastors within these denominational families. And when we talk about denominational families, it's not a specific denomination. It's groups of denomination that are similar in their theological orientation. So you would have evangelical churches as a denominational family, mainline churches as a denominational family, Pentecostal or charismatic, Catholic, holiness, traditionally black Protestant. Those are are the different kinds of families we were looking at. And, And one way of looking at this is you would expect to find at least three out of every four pastors in these kinds of churches to have biblical positions on these very basic fundamental biblical concepts. And and so looking at that, what we found is with the non-denominational and independent churches, you had of 17 different core beliefs that we looked at, 12 of those beliefs three quarters or more of the pastors of the non-denominational independent churches had biblical views. It's not great, but it's not bad. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can work with that. But then you look at something like the evangelical churches, all the different denominations in that family. And what we found is only four of the beliefs had 75% or more of the evangelical pastors. who had a biblical position. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can see right there, there's a huge drop, but then it gets worse from there on with mainline and Pentecostal uh, pastors and Catholic priests. We found only two of the 17 beliefs had 75% or more of those uh, church leaders possessing biblical points of view. But then when we looked at the holiness churches and the traditionally uh, black Protestant churches, There wasn't a single one of those 17 beliefs we looked at where at least three quarters of the pastors in either the holiness set of churches or the traditionally Black Protestant churches had a biblical point of view on those, not one.
0: That's incredible. Uh, George Barna is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. We're taking a look at the American Worldview Inventory report that was just released, and we'll post the whole report up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is a really in-depth. I mean, it's kind of eggheady in terms of the you know the, the types of beliefs that we're looking at, but it's very important for us to do so because when you hear these statistics that George Barna is sharing, the seventeen basics, you know, that you would expect. Uh, a pastor to have as far as regarding a biblical worldview. Now we're looking at the whole denominations here, whether it be evangelical, mainline Protestant, et cetera, and then asking the questions, the first category you said, you know, you would figure that if you were to go to a Presbyterian church, just for example, and you worship at one in your hometown, and then you go on vacation and you find a Presbyterian church there, and maybe you go on a business trip, you find another Presbyterian church there, you would hope that you would see a certain level of consistency in the pastorate, same with the Lutheran church, the Baptist church, et cetera, et cetera. But what George Barney, your research is telling us is that that's not the case and that the numbers get better as you look at the percentages going down in terms of the number of pastors who hold these beliefs. It's somewhere kind of in the middle, a kind of a mushy middle that may be safe to say that for most of the mainline denominations, half the pastors might have the bulk of these beliefs, but three quarters don't line up at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty disturbing. I mean, it, it used to be that when you look at the name of a denomination, and, and a church was part of that, there was a, a recognizable consistency, theologically speaking, you knew what you were getting when you walked in. Mm-hmm. These days, you don't know what you're getting any church that you walk in. Right. You know, even the best of these different groups. I mean, if we look at the nominational independent churches as the high watermark of only 12 out of 17 cases are you finding at least three out of four pastors in those churches with a biblical point of view. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, too, at the other end of the spectrum, if you were to look, say, at oh, holiness and, and traditionally Black Protestant churches, we found that for the holiness churches, for about a third of these different fundamental things that we were looking at, less than half of the pastors in those churches had biblical points of view, and with the uh, traditionally Black Protestant, 11 out of 17 of the beliefs, less than half, had a biblical point of view. So, you know, part of what I'm asking people to do is, hey, sit back and don't just assume that because you're going to a church and there's an ordained pastor who's being paid a salary and has the title, has experience, went to seminary, that all of that adds up to you're going to get biblical truth. It appears that that's not at all the case. So the burden is now on you Uh as the congregant to be taking responsibility for your own spiritual growth. It's always been your responsibility. But now more than ever, perhaps we've got to say, yeah, we can't just sit back and say, all right, pastor, do your magic. Teach Uh me what I need to know, Uh because the chances are you're going to be taught stuff that is not true and is going to be detrimental to your spiritual growth. So you've really got to be alert about what church you're attending, what it is they're teaching, and comparing it to what the scriptures teach.
0: George Barna, is there any difference? I mean, we're talking just, you know, groups of pastors and groups of of congregations based on denominations or lack thereof. Uh, was there any difference that you noted in your survey, or was it even a question on the survey, with regard to the ages of you know, maybe the, whether they were Boomer pastors or Gen X or, or Millennials? And did it, I, I wonder if this deterioration, this erosion of basic biblical truths among the pastorate might be a generational type of thing.
1: It is to some extent, and I think that also reflects the changes that are taking place in our seminaries across the country, where you've got now different professors, you've got different points of view, you've got a culture that's influencing the church more than the church is influencing the culture. You put all those kinds of things together, and yeah, there is a generational reality. We found that the pastors age 50 and older were much more likely to have biblical points of view on any of these things that we looked at than those pastors who were under the age of 50. And the younger we went, we did find that, yeah, there's a lesser likelihood that those pastors would have a biblical point of view. It also depends partly on the position that they hold in their church. That was another thing that came out in this report. Uh, But so, yeah, there, there are differences, uh, you Even find ethnic differences, you find regional differences. So once again, if you're a congregant, you know, it's not one size fits all, you got to be really careful about what you're buying into.
0: I'm talking with Dr. George Barna today here on The Bottom Line. He's the Senior Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. We have a link for this latest American worldview inventory report up at the thebottomlineshow.com of the report. This is release number seven. Non-denominational pastors are far more likely to hold biblical views than all other denominations pastors. And, and George really breaks this down in terms of what that really means. I mean, the, the, the short answer is don't trust the denomination to say, well, all of our pastors are going to believe a certain way because statistically, what we see in George's research, they don't. But this whole idea that, uh, uh, well, maybe there's a silver bullet for your church that's going to help boost attendance and really put you on the map if we just find, quote, unquote, the right senior pastor. Maybe that uh, that idea is kind of going by the wayside right now. And quite frankly, I'm a little ambivalent on that, George. I think that might be a blessing and a curse all at the same time. We're going to take a quick break here, and as we continue. I'd like to get into a couple of the different beliefs that you listed here in the report and get your reaction to them, because some of the numbers and some of the beliefs that the pastorate have are just mind-boggling to me, but I guess it's just a sign of the times when you talk about things like reincarnation and the value of human life and things like that. We'll talk a little bit more about that with Dr. George Barna on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies
2: for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said if you'd have put that into this account three years ago you'd have seventy five to a hundred thousand dollars of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. I had a client sell his house, had four hundred and fifty thousand in the bank. I told him is he really not likely to buy a house in the next twelve months. You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next twelve months? So he said how much? I said, Well how about between twenty and thirty thousand? He says zero versus twenty 000 or thirty thousand. Yeah, he says. I like the twenty or thirty thousand. Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call eight
0: hundred six nine six ninety nine seventy, eight hundred six nine six ninety nine seventy, or go to KBrightRadio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Dr. George Barna, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Barna is the uh, lead researcher at the, and you're the founder too, are you not? Did you start, establish the Cultural Research Center? Yeah, co-founder. Co-founder, okay, yeah. I mean, I don't want to understate the importance of George Barna's work at Arizona Christian University. ArizonaChristian.edu, I encourage all Bottom Line listeners to sign up for, uh, to start receiving the American Worldview Inventory. This is the third year that we've been receiving these reports, and they are, they're fascinating. They're not always, easy they're kind of George is kind of like that big pill you know that the doctor says here take this medication this flaxseed or whatever you get it the size of your fist right. and you look there and say what on earth is this all about but that's kind of somehow I think how a lot of our listeners look at your reports it's like well this is going to be a tough one to swallow but it's really good for me uh the newest report is with regard to pastors in non-denominational congregations versus denominational and which ones are more likely to hold biblical worldviews as George mentioned in the opening segment, uh, by and large, what you find is that you are more likely to find that non-denominational churches or families of churches that don't have a denominational background per se are more likely, you're more likely to find pastors with a biblical worldview there than you would in denominational churches. And he used a metric of uh, 17 basic uh, beliefs that uh, that are typically you would expect to see as uh, things that pastors actually hold dear. Uh, during the break, George, you and I were looking at the part of the report uh, that talks about the basic beliefs of pastors by their denominational families, and you ranked them in terms of, you know, so, for example, you'd expect that a pastor would say that human life is sacred in the non-denominational, 90% of pastors did. Um, but then you get into the Catholic church, and it is 34%, traditional black churches, 40%. And I'm scratching my head saying, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, human life is created by God in the image of God. Why would we not hold human life sacred? Uh, talk about some of the statistics that are on here, George, that you found rather surprising.
1: Well, you know, Roger, maybe one of the ones that, that kind of shocked me, and I've been doing this a long time, so it's kind of hard to shock me. But finding that uh, large numbers of pastors across all these denominational families believe that reincarnation is a real possibility. Mm, You know, when you look, for instance, at evangelical pastors, one out of every three believe that reincarnation is a real possibility. Mm. Uh, Catholic priests, about half of them, 47%. Pentecostal pastors, charismatic church pastors, 43% black, traditionally black uh, denominations, 70%. Of those pastors, much more likely to believe, by the way, that reincarnation is a real possibility than to believe that when they die, they'll go to heaven Hmm. because they confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. Only 47% of the pastors of traditionally black churches believe that about their salvation compared to 70% who say reincarnation is a real possibility. Incredible so it's those kinds of relationships you know it's not even just saying yeah wow that's pretty wacky about reincarnation but then putting it in the context of but what do they believe about their own salvation Uh and seeing you know because what are you going to teach you're going to teach what you believe you're going to teach what you know what you buy into can't give what you don't have so uh this this is kind of scary stuff frankly and with evangelical churches i mean the The whole concept of being an evangelical church is that you believe the Bible is God's truth Mm -hmm. and that what you need to do is to live according to that truth. But to see how that truth is interpreted or reinterpreted by tens and tens of thousands of evangelical pastors, that's kind of a shocker to me as well.
0: Dr. George Barna, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're taking a look at the latest installment in the American Worldview Inventory from 2022, looking at the basic beliefs of pastors by their denominational families, if you will, and seeing some of the shocking statistics. I mean, we've we've already had the conversation with Dr. Barna earlier about just the number of pastors who hold a biblical worldview, but now this is kind of a a follow-up, a a deeper dive, if you will, into this. And that reincarnation thing is just, it's mind-boggling. Another one that really kind of jumped out to me with regard to uh, this. I mean, I I guess it's kind of American, you know, to say uh, that success in life is consistent with obedience to God. I mean, that's, I'm sure there's some pastors in Afghanistan and China who might disagree with that uh, in terms of material possessions and things of that nature. But talk about the fact that there are two categories here. One about determining moral truth and how that, how many pastors believe that that's really up to us as individuals And the fact that the Bible is ambiguous about things like abortion, you know, that there is no, they kind of, those two numbers kind of seem to go hand in glove, even though non-denominational pastors typically, according to your study, um, have a mostly biblical worldview, like 85% believe that that those two statements I just made aren't true. Um, The fact that 15% do is a little disconcerting, isn't it?
1: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the fact that any of them, you know, would have the wrong point of view is disconcerting because you know that they're going to influence hundreds, if not thousands of lives and move them in the wrong direction, biblically speaking. You know, so when we look at this concept of of moral truth, we found that in, in four of the seven different denominational families that we were looking at, majorities of the pastors from those denominational families, Catholic, Pentecostal, charismatic, traditionally black, and uh, holiness churches believe that moral truth is up to the individual, that there's no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. In other words, your truth, you know, that whole concept of, you know, what's your truth? You got to be real, you got to be in tune with your truth. I mean, that's literally being taught from thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of Christian churches across the country. And even in evangelical churches, you've got about four out of 10 evangelical pastors who would say there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. So once again, we have to question, yeah, what does it mean to be an evangelical church in America today? Certainly not the same thing it did 50 years ago.
0: Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on the bottom line, and we are, uh, we're working on that big pill, <laughs> that big kind of bitter pill of his statistics this time. I'm grateful, though, that George does it with a certain measure of grace and, and kindness and even empathy. Uh, we've got the full report on denominational pastors versus non-denominational pastors and the lack of a biblical worldview on some key components of our Christian faith, things that if we were just having a conversation, it, I think for most of us in the body of Christ, we would find that we're, you know, we're in lockstep with the things that you consider to be the basics, which are in this report, and the fact that our pastors, our leaders, don't have that. Uh, George, we've got a couple minutes left, and I, I, know there've been a couple of large changes at megachurches recently. Um, other churches have seen kind of a, a, drifting of pastorate. You know, people during COVID, you know, who decided to leave, and some folks have kind of been rethinking where it is they would congregate. Um, we're not trying to put all denominations on notice here by saying, well, these guys are bad and these guys get it. But encourage our listeners, if you would, based on what your research has told you about how we should be approaching church attendance, church you know, leadership selection, that type of stuff, and what our expectation level is. Because oftentimes, let's face it, you find the biggest church with the coolest show and the hippest pastor, you show up there and you come away going, hey, I've been fed. This is really great. And it sounds like your research is telling us we need to really be on guard against kind of following the celebrity because there's a good possibility that there may not be a whole lot behind it.
1: Yeah. And, and I'd even go maybe a a step above that and say, and if you're a parent who's going to a church, you Mm. have children. Yeah. The first thing you need to look for is not who's going to make me happy. You need to look at who's going to teach my child or children, biblical truth on a consistent basis. Because when we looked at the numbers here, I mean, we found that among children's and youth pastors across the board, uh, by and large, they, of course, do not have a biblical worldview, only 12% of them do. And when we looked at these 17 beliefs, and this is in that same report... You know, in, in the case of six of those beliefs, about a third of them, less than half of all children's pastors had a biblical worldview. You know, so you got to be very careful. It's not just who has the games that my kids are going to enjoy. Where are they going to be the safest? Where are they going to meet the, the best friends? That's, that's part of it. But really, the biggest part of it, the reason you're taking them to a church is for them to grow spiritually. So you have to look at who's going to facilitate that not just in a comfortable setting, but frankly, becoming a Christian is pretty uncomfortable because it challenges us in everything we think and do and strive to become. And so that that's something you may want to do is look first at the children's ministry. That's the most important thing in the church. And then you can go and check out what's going on with the adults and, and look for some different types of, of, of perspectives. Almost every Christian church on their website has their statement of faith, and, you know, they kind of copy from each other, I dare to say, in, in many cases. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you want to look at other things, you know, things again, one of the beliefs that we looked at here, the personal accumulation of money and other forms of wealth are entrusted to a person by God to manage for his purposes. I mean, when you realize that in the four of the seven denominational families, most of the pastors don't believe that <laughs> they believe that you get what you earn and what you've earned, you've earned right. has nothing to do with God. I mean, this is you know akin to blasphemy, so you've got to look carefully at a lot of different things about what's going on in that church.
0: Yeah, the great words of wisdom from Dr. George Barna, Director of Research and Co-Founder of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. ArizonaChristian.edu is where you find them online. Check out the seventh release in the 2022 edition of the American Worldview Inventory It's eye-opening, it's difficult to read in certain areas, but it's very, very helpful and informative, especially for those of us who are parents and grandparents are raising that next generation of believers and wanting to create a faith in their hearts that is not something that's created by man, but cultivated based on what God has done in the transforming work of his Holy Spirit. Dr. George Barna, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate your partnership
1: today. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate it.
0: Always great to get these conversations with Dr. George Barna, and today here on The Bottom Line was no exception, uh, the brand new resource from Arizona Christian University and the Cultural Research Center, their American Worldview Inventory for 2020, uh, non-denominational pastors far more likely to hold biblical views than all other denominations pastors. That is the title of this, uh, this piece, and uh, we've got a link for it up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Remember, these are all free. I mean, all of these uh, press releases and with bits of the, they've taken the entire 2022 American worldview inventory at at Arizona Christian and broken it up into these little segments. They run about six, seven pages each with hyperlinks. And so you can find out all the details you want, but um, go to thebottomlineshow.com or arizonachristian.edu and you can get this information and you can subscribe too for free uh, once you're on the Arizona Christian site. We'll take a quick break and we'll talk about what this means, especially in light of the fact that there are a number of people even adults who have a difficult time proving that the resurrection of Jesus Christ which is his death and resurrection is the center point of our faith uh more and more people are having a hard time explaining it and maybe this research from George Barnick can help us explain why we don't understand it as well as we think we do that's coming up next as the bottom line
3: continues right after you get into an accident you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935 or go to kbrightradio.com slash Cover Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law.
0: Always a pleasure to get time with Dr. George Barna, co-founder of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And this is a serious commitment for George. He's he's spent many, many years studying this, and now into the grandpa stage of life. And he and his wife have uh, purchased a home in Arizona, have made Arizona home. And uh, we're grateful that we have the opportunities to Zoom together uh, every uh, month or so. Uh, The... uh, most recent report from the Arizona Christian University uh, Cultural Research Center is titled Non-Denominational Pastors Far More Likely to Hold Biblical Views Than All Other Denominations Pastors. It's free up at TheBottomLineShow.com, this report is, and you can subscribe to it as well and get start getting these updates the same way we do. So you can either get them from us or get them from George. You know, as I was reading through the data, it, I could not help but wonder... Uh, why we chase our tails so much on we're so worried about kids losing their faith and our grandkids, you know, coming to faith in Christ and and whether or not that faith is going to quote-unquote stick. And we wonder why the centerpiece of salvation, which is you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we need salvation, God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son to pay the penalty for our sin, why that's lost on so many kids. Well, if pastors don't have a biblical worldview, then they're not teaching the true gospel. They're preaching the parts of the Bible that they like but they're not preaching the true, inerrant word of God, and so it got me thinking about a conversation I had about this with Jay Warner Wallace. You know, the Cold Case Christianity guy. He's written some wonderful books explaining how he went from an atheist investigator and detective to an apologist and launching this phenomenal ministry. Jim was the guy who told me, "Hey, we shouldn't look at kids in college and say when did they lose their faith. They're losing their faith in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade." We're not making a a compelling case for the resurrection. On the other side of this break, I want to revisit a conversation I had with uh, uh, Jim Wallace about this not too long ago. How can we be certain that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Now, not only is this great conversation, but we have a resource to give away on the other side of this break as well. So get your dialing fingers ready. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line well welcome to this special edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh don't forget uh, today being thursday if you are listening on the full network the national crawford roundtable podcast is coming up in about 30 minutes for our KBRT listeners and and others who carry the whole thing. If you're listening on KCBC, it already aired this morning at 1030. And you can find it at thebottomlineshow.com, at crawfordmediagroup.net, wherever we podcast, through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and also Spotify as well. And you can see it, the whole thing, on myhopenow.com. And hopefully my camera worked. (laughs) Some weeks when when we do the video, we've all got our GoPros out. And Bob's in the studio kind of anchoring the whole thing. And sometimes I'll go back and watch the replay and I see one of our pictures up there and go, well, (laughs) I know what happened here. I did that last week. I, I literally hit the button for time lapse. And all of a sudden I had all of my, I looked like one of those high speed TikToks. So we just had to put the JPEG up and well. That's the way it was. You know, in the earlier segment, uh, George Barnard was on with me. And if you haven't heard that yet, please go back to thebottomlineshow.com and you can catch it there. Uh, George and I were talking about the uh, latest installment of the American Worldview Inventory 2022 edition that uh, (laughs) indicates that non-denominational pastors are more likely to have a biblical worldview than denominational pastors. And that's speaking denomination-wide. So if you find an independent church that's not part of a denomination, and you compare it to a denominational church like a Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic, there's a very strong possibility that the non-denom church as pastor is more likely to have a biblical worldview than all of the pastors in the denomination. Not that they don't have pastors who have a biblical worldview, but by and large, the majority of them don't. And it got me thinking about the gospel. It got me thinking about how we you know, are so concerned about our kids and our grandkids coming to faith in Christ, and then asking the question, well, What are we doing to prepare them for that? Uh, Jay Warner Wallace is the founder of Cold Case Christianity and coldcasechristianity.com. He and I are both local guys, but a couple of years ago at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, we got to shake hands for the first time. So I I want to revisit this conversation because Jim does such a great job of explaining how we can be certain the gospel is true. So Tamara, let's go ahead and cue that up and roll it right now on this special edition of The Bottom Line. Special guest, special for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, a, I'm fanboying right now, as they say in the industry, because Jay Warner Wallace is sitting across the table from me. We've had phone conversations before, but we've never had a chance to meet. So it, yeah. welcome to is the bottom line, the, well, Jim Wallace. Thanks for
4: having me. Is this crazy? Here we are living, not about 35 minutes from if our, if each that, other. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: Well, I would do that for you. Uh, okay. that's what I did. Me too, brother. <laughs> you did it for me. Yeah, that's the, the only thing. reason why you're here. That's right. Coldcasechristianity.com is the website. And of course, Jay Warner Wallace is the Cold Case Christianity guy for someone who's never yeah. heard of your work before. Uh, give us a 60-second yeah, overview. You know,
4: I was, a, I was a, not a Christian growing up, and so I used my, my my process that I used for evaluating eyewitnesses. I would, By the time I got interested in the Bible, I was already working homicides and other kinds of cases. So I had a system in place that I would use to evaluate eyewitness testimony. And that's what I did. I applied that to the New Testament Gospels, and that's what got me interested in them to begin with and and why I'm probably—well, this is why I'm a Christian today. I don't, I don't think you're going to become a Christian by examining—you get to believe that mm-hmm. So. I'm thing is true. But yeah. once you believe that the gospels, the New Testament are is reliable, that that sets the the kind of the benchmark for everything else you do. I started to realize that it was not only telling me the truth about Jesus, it was telling me the truth about me. Mm. And that's what shifted me Toward becoming a Christian, because I realized I had a need for a Savior that was pretty obvious if I had paid attention to it, mm-hmm. but I hadn't been paying attention to it. And the, and the Gospels, kind of, and the New Testament in general, helped me to see who I was.
0: You just hit on something that I want to circle back around to because yeah. it's, it's based on a comment that you made the last time we were talking, but we said. We spend so much time in the culture focusing on kids in college, losing their faith. And you said, no, they lose it in fourth grade. And we we just find out about it when they're in college. But the thing that you were talking about just now talking about your faith, about how you study Jesus and, you know, the forensic analysis that you bring to it and then say, and then I had to start studying me. And I wonder how many people, because I know people in clergy, you know, who are are saying, okay, this is all, this is what God is. This is who God is and everything like that. So as long as you're okay with that, there's no focus on themselves.
4: Yeah, yeah. So
0: Shouldn't a good study of Jesus lead to a well,
4: good study well, look, of us? You, nobody, uh, need, if you don't think you need a Savior, then the offer of a Savior really is, is somehow diminished, right? right I mean, you might right. accept Him as Savior, but until you recognize your own need, not only that, I think that we can spend a lot of time as leaders, as church leaders, um, helping our people see the need to 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 adopt the nature of Jesus. And we, don't you see that a lot when we're talking about well, this is the way we ought to behave or respond? And it turns out that if I focus on just me and my response or how I'm supposed to respond, that's probably not gonna get me there. What what helps me to get there though is that when I focus on what Jesus did for me, Mm -hmm. my own level of sin, like what he had to do for it, like you, how can you respond with anything other yeah. than a response of joy? Where I now have more tolerance for other people's uh, mistakes when I realize that oh my gosh, I mean, do I, do I think I'm mistakeless? Do I did I think I was mistakeless and couldn't tolerate somebody else? It turns out that I become much more forgiving once I recognize my own need for forgiveness. So even if I was a church leader who was focused on helping my people to become more forgiving. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to start with, do you recognize who you are and what Mm -hmm. Jesus had to do in order to pay the price for who you are? Um, That helps me to to kind of keep it all in perspective, Mm. but look, you're not going to get there if you don't think that Jesus either never lived or you can't trust what the Bible tells you about Jesus or that Jesus lived and he was something less than described on the pages of the New Testament. He was maybe a, a wise rabbi, but he certainly didn't rise from the grave and didn't work miracles and wasn't born of a virgin. I mean, there's lots of ways that people try to dissect the person of Jesus to make him something that he's not Mm. in order to live the life they want to live and, and really reject the gospel altogether.
0: It takes a lot of work to do that, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. But you know, it's, it's easy work because the tail that wags the dog often is just our own sense of desire Mm -hmm. and our fallen nature. So I always say this about young people that why would you think that that's not what's the tail that's wagging the dog? Look, if, if I'm in college and I'm 19 and if I'm just a young adult or I'm a young, uh, 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 somebody in high school, let's say, and, I, and there's a worldview out there that will allow me to chase my passions without restriction,
3: mm-hmm.
4: well, I'm going to be inclined toward that worldview because yeah. it allows me to do the thing I wanted to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So even if it requires some, some bit of, of, of denial... Um, I'm willing to do it because it gives it achieves the greater end, which is that I want to be my own God, make my own decisions, and mm-hmm. chase my own passions without feeling bad.
0: Jay Warner Wallace is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. You hear me calling him Jim from time to time because he lets me do that. Well, the... because,
4: you know, there's a Jim Wallace from Sojourners yes. that I get mistaken for yes, on the radio because no, the name sounds the same. But,
0: but no one would ever mistake you for Jim Wallace and Sojourners if they actually sat down and compared worldviews.
4: Well, I can tell you a funny story about that. We were both at a uh, a, a law enforcement reform uh, committee meeting in Washington, Mm D.C. It was right after the election, and we all go in and want to talk about law reform, reform, legal reform, and uh, I see on the the table, there's Jim Wallace's, he spells his name Mm W-A-L-L-I-S, and I saw his name was there. He's going to be there. I said, oh, great. So when he walked in the room, I walked over, he's from Sojourners in Washington, D.C., and I said, hey, my name was also Jim Wallace, and just so I want you to know, you're the reason why I had to change it to Jay Warner <laughs> Wallace because I was being confused for you. Uh-huh. And we had a he laughed about it, and then but then from that point on during the day, I could see we maybe weren't aligned on every yeah. view of, yeah. of how we would respond to certain things. But at the same time, I love the fact that there's so much diversity. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can even hold—I'm not sure what his positions are—but even two people who can hold orthodox positions related to the theology of Jesus mm-hmm. might. Hold different inferences onto how we ought to leverage that in culture. Yes. So I'm, I'm I understand that, and Excellent I just want point. to be gracious yeah. again sure. that we may not agree on how it, flesh, it fleshes out uh-huh. in culture, even though we might agree on principally on the theology related to orthodoxy. Let's say you know.
0: I love the way your mind works, Jim Wallace, because you can you can parse that out for it, and you do parse uh, parse that out for us so very very easily and succinctly. Shouldn't every Christian be able to do that?
4: Well, I I, I think what I'm this is a thinking person's worldview, right? Mm-hmm. I think it should be. And it certainly seems that Jesus thought it was a thinking person's worldview. Think about the rich amount of information that Jesus of Nazareth provided for us in just three years of public ministry that ended up being the hinge point that changed all the course of human history. Mm. That's gotta be somebody who's smart. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's how he was pitched to me to begin with, the pastor that got me interested, said he was the smartest man who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that if part of that tradition ought to be that we ought to be thinkers who, number one, can think deeply about the sermons of Jesus, the information that Jesus gave us. This is why, for example, Roger, I don't spend a lot of time talking about politics. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that I'm not politically interested, of course I am, but I think it's downstream from two other things that are more important. Is the Bible true Mm -hmm. and should we take it seriously? Because what I'm seeing is there's either people who don't agree with us on political issues because, number one, they don't trust the Bible as a source of information anyway. They don't think it's true. Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. But then there are people within the Christian tradition who don't take it seriously enough not to just cherry pick out a verse to -hmm. to make it serve their purpose. Right, Right, right. They're not reading within context. They're not developing a rich, connected theology that kind of makes sense of every passage of Scripture rather than just cherry pick something. If people thought it was true and took it seriously, we'd probably end up in much the same place on Mm -hmm. all the cultural issues in Mm -hmm. in, in the world. Yeah. But because we don't always... That's why I spend time on the first two issues. Is it true? Should we take it seriously? And I let the the, the downstream stuff stay downstream. It'll
0: sort itself out. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace, Jim Wallace, is here today on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. ColdcaseChristianity.com is the website. And the books that you've written, Cold Case Christianity, Cold Case Christianity for Kids. Now, how was that received?
4: Well, I, I think what's interesting about doing kids' books, it's been the, the best, right? We, the, the most satisfying thing, of course, is working with kids. I, I remember I used it as, a, as a youth pastor. I remember learning something from my lead pastor I never forgot, and here's what it was. He said, look, you're, I'm hiring you as a youth pastor, and I've learned this a lot of years ago when he was a youth pastor. People can't help but love the people who love their kids, hmm. and if you will just love on these kids— you'll not only gain the kids, you'll also gain their parents yes. who love the fact that you love on their kids. Yes. Um, and I think that's true for writing books as well. If you love the church, we at some point have to write content for the kids in the church, because I think all of us as parents, we worry that, that you know, our, my bigger concerns are, are for my kids. Even mm-hmm. now, as they're all adults. I still, you, you never stop worrying about your kids, right? right. So, right. So uh, we we knew, Susie and I knew, we needed to turn and focus on, to inoculate kids before they hear crazy from the Internet, Mm -hmm. before they hear the outrageous claims against Christianity. We wanted to give them the truth in a more robust way. So those kids' kids books are like for 8 to 12-year-olds. I really think we have to do the heavy lifting in that 8 to 12 range before they are in junior high, before they are exposed. Because let's face it, the minute, let's put it this way, don't give your kids a cell phone. Or allow them access to other kids who have cell phones Mm -hmm. until you have first inoculated them from what they're going to encounter online. Or you're just setting yourself up for failure. And so that's why we're we're trying to write for that age group.
0: Well, I think the books are fantastic. And you'll find a complete listing of them at the website, coldcasechristianity.com. You'll see it just a... a a treasure trove of material from uh, books, uh, podcasts, curriculum, teaching outlines, all sorts of things. It's all there at coldcasechristianity.com. J. Warner Wallace, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about a new project that he's working on right now that I'm sure is consuming most of his thinking and waking hours because you've got a deadline due, and you're going to meet that deadline. I I know you are. Okay, we'll talk about that coming up next
2: as The Bottom Line continues. Newport Bay Mortgage will steer you in the right direction toward the truth about reverse mortgages. Owner Cliff enjoys educating every client and wants to debunk the misconceptions you may have heard. You'll see that an FHA-approved reverse mortgage gives you financial freedom. You can use it to pay bills, cover unexpected expenses, or watch your children and grandchildren enjoy themselves while you're still alive. Cliff informs you of the facts. Drawing from his 40 years of reverse mortgage experience, you must be 62 years or older for the FHA program and at least 55 for a conventional high-volume program. It doesn't affect any credit score points and can even be refinanced after one year. When considering ways to enjoy your liquidity in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Contact Cliff today. Visit kbrightradio.com reverse. That's kbrightradio.com slash reverse or 714-741-8080. NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage, an equal opportunity housing
0: lender. We're back here with Jay Warner Wallace here on the Bottom Line Show. I, Jay Warner, not Warner. Well, I just call you Jim. Yeah, just call me Jim. Call so, you so easy. Jim. Right? Jim Wallace, ColdCaseChristianity.com is the website. Roger Marsh here. We're in Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Just getting caught up. I mean, yeah. you're, you're you're kind of in between projects right now, so it's not I like am. you're selling a book or a movie. Of course, yeah. after your big screen uh, debut, oh, in uh, well, I, you yeah, want more of that? I, don't I will you?
4: tell you, I don't even like the whole marketing aspect of. So it, nobody has an idea that they think is powerful that. that even a biblical truth that they Mm -hmm. don't want to share. And and you don't write a book because you want no one to read it. You Mm -hmm. don't do a podcast or a radio show because you want no one to listen. So there's an aspect in which you, you want to maximize, if you've got the message you want to maximize, you yes. end up having to do something with that. But as an atheist, I was so suspicious of Christians who were always selling something. Right, sure. like I suspected that was their motive. So for me, what I did intentionally, and I was asked to come out of my work earlier, I was working with Stand to Reason, which is a ministry in Southern California, yes. apologetics ministry, and Greg Kokel, who leads that, mm-hmm. took me to dinner and said, hey, so can you retire right now? I said, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not in a position financially. I, mean, I should wait a few years before. So you mean to tell me? that you would rather make a few more percentage on your retirement than serve the kingdom of God. This is what he says to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, Greg, uh, yeah, basically. (laughs) Uh, I said, because I knew that I wanted to get to a position where I was not motivated. I had no financial concerns related to ministry. Mm -hmm. So I'm living on my pension. People say, well, how can I do what you do? Well, you have to get a pension first because I don't really do what I do for a living either. So Mm -hmm. so now I can make decisions that I hope are more ministry related. You know, Mm -hmm. what, what do I think is more impactful but yeah, you're in between projects. You're always when you write a book, you have to do some spend some time it's, it's, look, I always say it this way. Anyone can write a book. Mm-hmm. The trick is getting someone to read it.
0: Yes. Oh, the that's work good. is
4: far more engaging. It's far more difficult to do the second thing than mm-hmm. it is to do the first thing. Amen. So, so yeah, so I'm writing another book and what we're trying to do is we're taking a look at uh, again we're using illustrations from my criminal work. You know, there's times when you have a case where there's no crime scene, you get there. Uh, you're six years after the fact. I've had a number of no body missings. So in mm. other words, he says that his wife ran off, and uh, we don't work as a homicide. We work as a missing persons. And six years later, she never come, never came back. Mm. And now we realize this is a homicide. Oh my God! But now there's no crime scene. He sold the house. He, yeah. he broke everything down. There's no, there's no evidence in a crime scene to look at. So now, how do you solve this case when you've got no body, not even a body, not, mm. nothing and no evidence in a crime scene, well, you have to work on everything that precedes and and follows the crime. And that's the approach I'm taking with the next book. I'm just trying to figure out, hey, could you make a case for the historicity, the existence, and the deity of Christ if you had no New Testament at all? Mm. I think you could. Yes. Like if you had no body missing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to do the case like I have a nobody missing. And the reason why I'm doing this because I've already written about the stuff in the crime scene. That's called cold case Christianity. Yes. So now I'm writing about everything that's not in the crime scene. And I just think it'll be helpful for people. And I think it's also a very unique approach in the sense that if you didn't have this criminal approach I'm taking, this investigative approach I'm taking, which is very unique for nobody missing cases, mm-hmm. I don't think you could build
0: this case. No.
4: But if you know how to do that in front of a jury, and I've done that twice now in front of a jury, um, you can actually make a case. And that's what we're trying to do
0: coldcasechristianity.com is the website where you find all the information about what Jay Warner Wallace is working on. I'm Roger Marsh, and Jim Wallace is here with us. That I I love this concept for a couple of different reasons, but the first one that jumped into my mind was there are a whole group of people that are called God's chosen people who think that the 39 books of the Bible that don't include the New Testament, right. that that's the Bible. Yeah. And so you're saying that you are basically I'm
4: trying to, 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 I'm trying to say hey what would you know about Jesus if there was no New Testament at all mm-hmm. and what would have given you an inclination that you ought to be looking for Jesus right? uh, prior to his appearing. So, yeah. so there's lots of ways to approach that. Uh, but I'm just trying to stay within a lane that is purely invested is my invest? Look, I'll get it this way. Um, <laughs> each of us is gifted differently. Yes, They have something from our toolbox that is unique to us that we could use. Mm-hmm. And although there's tons of apologetics books that are written with language, like investigative detective or courtroom language, mm-hmm. they're never written by people who have actually worked a criminal case and right. then taken it to trial. And so I want to be able to bring some reality to that, right? There's some mm-hmm. things, for example, that I do not consider to be good evidence that other people have thought was good evidence. I always think, well, that's not going to fly in front of a jury. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Some of the prophecies, I don't spend a lot of time on my website, for example, talking about all the Old Testament prophecies related to Jesus, because I have a sense that um, some of that would be powerful in front of a jury, but not all of it. Mm. And I want to be able to, to, to know the difference and share the difference with people, although I think there is a very good case you can make from prophecies. Mm-hmm. I know the way I would make it in front of a jury that would circumvent any effort of the defense attorney to mitigate what I'm saying. In mm-hmm. other words, I know if I pitch it a certain way in front of a jury, yeah. I just open myself up for attack from the defense attorney. Sure. So I'm always trying to think ahead, well, what would the attack be? Let's just don't do that. And we, we deny him the opportunity to say anything bad about our evidence. So that's kind of the approach I take with all my books is, hey, what is the strongest case we can offer? And why would we, I'll give me an example of this. Uh, I love the Shroud of Turin. I'm so intrigued by the Shroud of Turin, But because I think it's right on the fence, I'm not a hunt. I think there's a ways to attack the Shroud, mm-hmm. if I'm a skeptic, mm-hmm. that could be powerful I don't include it in my evidence set. It's not uncommon to have 50 pieces of evidence but only go to trial with 30. Right. Because the 20 could be argued either way. I'm not Mm going to let the jury do that. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to go with the— Now, if they want to bring those 20 in, I'm going to show how they can work with our case. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to bring them in so they can show how it works with their case. I want to make sure I stay with the 30 strongest pieces.
0: How do you, Jim Wallace? I'm I'm fascinated with your mind. You talk about your lane. Your lane, to me, is the Indy 500. I mean, it's just it's a racetrack where you go faster than I can even keep up with it. Well, you're very kind, but it's
4: just it's anything that a stupid, if if a cop like me can mm -hmm. figure this out, it's only because it's been beaten into me over a number of cases. Trust me. Well,
0: where where I was going with that was okay. How many people do you know, and I I know them too. Where you're talking about evidence and a case and making the case for Christ, but presenting that, well, that's another book, but I mean, yes. presenting all that and saying, what am I going to put in? What am I going to leave out? God didn't say, okay, push this button, yes. pull this lever. I know. He's given us all the tools and it's, and puts it for each of us to say, right. you present it this way, you present it that way. How can we as the in the body of Christ do a better job of doing what you're just talking about? Well, I think about? it's so biblical. Look, when Peter's at Pentecost and he's preaching,
4: you notice he leaves some details out and mm-hmm. he only uses some based on his audience. Yeah. When Paul is on Acts 17 on Mars Hill, he takes a slightly different approach. Leaving, He's selecting from the palette of evidences mm-hmm. what he's going to use given the context of the culture in which he's working. Yeah. He speaks differently on Mars Hill than he does to Agrippa. He, he's, he's contextualizing everything based on what he knows about his audience. And that's what we're doing with jurors. Look, I don't, these aren't 12 strangers to me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, number one, I've empaneled those 12. I, I did rich, involved surveys, sometimes 20 pages of surveys for each one. I know their entire personal history. Mm-hmm. They've had to answer 20 pages of questions before we picked from a pool of 70, the 12 that are in the box and the four that are alternates. I know those 16 people. I've got my own concerns about, I feel like I know them personally. And it's in the context of what who I know them to be that I pick out a way to present with the DA, how are we gonna present to that 16? Look, if we had a different 16, we might present this differently. Mm -hmm. But because we know the 16 we've got, we choose how to present the case. Well, this is true for all of us. You know, the problem I think for most of us when we talk about God with our friends and family is we're like treating them like a like a kind of like a, an amalgamous kind of a homogenous
0: yeah. group instead not, of people we actually know. Right. These yeah. are like
4: like you know this person and yeah. you know what's going to make them mad or make her mad or or you know your kids what they're going to tune out what they're not going to you know what interests them. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to speak in those areas where I know my kids are interested or look for those moments when I can leverage something they're interested in toward the gospel.
0: Mm. I wish we could capture your enthusiasm and market it everywhere.
4: Well, I mean, you're ent- look, here's the last thing I'll say about that. Yeah. Enthusiasm is based on all of us are enthusiastic about something. Right. The question is, are, is this the thing we're enthusiastic? Well, you already know. People who are listening to this right now, they already know how to make a case for their favorite dessert or what their favorite show on Netflix is and mm-hmm. why I should not spend time watching that show. They'll mm-hmm. give a three-point reason, case, why I should not watch that show. Really? So we can defend shows on Netflix and our favorite football team and our favorite basketball team, but we can't defend our our God. I think we have to kind of shift our priorities.
0: Yeah, and you have to be able to do it too. There's a... a, a scientific expert that also likes the show Stranger Things and so that's right. we, we had a conversation where he can do the, the scientific side of that's the right. explanation of God but the other here are the biblical oh, principles of abs- Stranger absolutely. Things I'm like well good for you Yeah, that's, absolutely. that's what you're talking about yes. doing um, Jay Warner, Warner Wallace coldcasechristianity.com the time went by much too quickly it always does um, one of these days we can do this face to face in our studio yes no kidding but uh, nonetheless uh, uh, congratulations on the book and I'm praying and our listeners will pray too that you can meet the deadline uh, yes. because I know you're not one of those guys who goes well I missed the deadline who no cares? i can't miss it you just I can't have, do
4: no, it. I have no choice I have to make the deadline. you've got to do for it sure. everything has to and stop you, until it's done that's yeah. right
0: well good good for you for doing that keep writing and thanks for blessing us today thanks You're for the having me I appreciate it roger and that concludes my conversation with jay warner wallace uh jim to his friends Uh, but there's a Jim Wallace who runs Sojourner's Ministry, so they didn't want to confuse. So when he started publishing books, he became J. Warner Wallace. Um, He's written a number of outstanding books about apologetics, how you can figure out uh, what what it means to find the evidence for the existence of God, the proof of the resurrection, et cetera, et cetera. We've got a link for Cold Case Christianity up at thebottomlineshow.com, but we also have a couple of kids' books. And I thought, as a grandparent, my heart is very heavy for my grandson, my two granddaughters, and the other grandson is on the way and wanting them to know what the truth of the gospel is, and they're not going to have Papa preaching in their ear at them all day long because they all live in different states, cold case Christianity for kids, Uh, give Teresa a call right now at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line, and we have a couple of copies of those books to give to you. So you've got a great chance of winning something here in the waning moments of the first hour of the Bottom Line Show today. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to Jay Warner Wallace, the author of Cold Case Christianity and the founder of coldcasechristianity.com for spending the half hour with me here on the Bottom Line Show to discuss how we can be certain that there is evidence to prove the existence of God, and more importantly, specifically, we talked about the resurrection. And uh, Jim's written some great books on this subject, but a couple that he's written for kids Cold Case Christianity for Kids, Cold Case Christianity basically is the, the whole gospel story. 800-227-5278. We'd love to place one of these books in your hands right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. The name of the game is, as you see fewer and fewer young people adopting a biblical worldview, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, it is on you, it's on me, it's on all of us to be as obvious as possible, as obtuse as we can in our intentional sharing of the gospel with our kids, not just God loves you and thinks you're amazing. God loves you and thinks you're so amazing and so wonderful that he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he wasn't just dying because people wanted to torture him. He was literally taking the sin of the world, all of the sin for all eternity, and saying, I will defeat this sin and death in hell. And he did. And he rose from the grave and. He lives forever to rule and reign, and because of his saviorship, if you will, and his lordship, we have everlasting life. Kids can understand that. They really can't, especially when they see how important it is to mom and dad, and especially grandma and grandpa, how important that is for us to model that faith for our grandkids. 800-227-5278. For our KCBC audience, it's time for you now to enjoy Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus, uh, special programming for our friends at KLDC. For those who remain on the network, it's time for this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And this week, we're focusing on California. Governor Newsom has been signing all sorts of crazy bills into law, but one he hasn't touched just yet that we know of is AB 2098. John and Bob and I will break that down for you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues.